Well, hello and welcome to this episode of The Heart's Desire. My name is Greg Schutte. Uh, I'm your host. I'm a marriage therapist and director of Marriage Works Ohio. I'm also the author of the Discovering Our Deepest Desire Catholic Marriage Enrichment Program. I'm joined today with a group of uh, colleagues here to really do kind of a new venture with this whole podcast. I want to do something that I'm going to call uh, Stump the Chump, which is more of a discussion on some very difficult uh, situations or things that come up in marriage uh, where my colleagues are going to bring you know questions that they've heard that are out there, not necessarily questions they have, but just some thoughts around a certain topic and uh, you know we're going to wrestle with that here today. So I'm joined with uh, Kim Dannon. I'm also here with Dante Devon and Terrence Landers. So uh, welcome everybody. And uh, good to have, good to have, good, good to be here. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Okay. So today they, I've let them really pick. Actually, Kim picked the topic. Uh, of an issue that's that's dealt with a lot in marriage, and I'll let her kind of set the stage for that, and then kind of throw out some uh, maybe the first question in all of this. Yes. Yeah, so the topic I thought would be good to discuss today is infidelity. Um, I think that so she starts really big here. She doesn't start <laughs> with a small thing. We're going to hit it hard. Okay, infidelity. I think this is a big topic because I think that a lot of couples now are having to deal with the social media world um, in a way where we never had to many years ago. And I think navigating that um, because a lot of times, you know, we have to use the social media or just any type of electronic world for our jobs, um, for any type of social um, life these days. And I think that the lines can get crossed and there can be some confusion as far as what, um, you know, is appropriate when within a marriage or, you know, a committed relationship. So, um, and that's a great point because I see that a lot in marriage therapy is that one of the big areas is that people are spending a lot of time on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, and they're catching their loved one, you know, doing a lot of these communications with another person. And sometimes, it, you know, it's, it's very secretive. So that's a great point. So let's get this started. Um, Greg, the one thing that, you know, I do hear a lot is, you know, we hear people say things like if they're defending uh, maybe an accusation that, that maybe, you know, they're being accused of being um, unfaithful to their spouse. Sometimes we'll hear things like, well, nothing really happened. You know, we, we're, we're just friends. We were only talking. Nothing really happened. Or maybe sometimes we'll say something like, you know, well, that person doesn't mean anything to me. I love you. That person doesn't mean anything to me. Um, it was no big deal. Um, so, you know... Let's start off by trying to define what really is infidelity within a marriage. What are, what are the boundaries um, that you feel uh, would be crossed that would cause someone to feel like, you know, you're not being faithful to me? Okay, and now I'm going to throw out the question to all of you first. Is mm -hmm. What do you think infidelity is? Uh, for me, for me, infidelity, it, 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 don't, it don't have to mean physical act of sex. Infidelity can be emotional, it can be physical, or it can just be an area in your in your marriage that you're lacking. And any relationship in your marriage that your spouse don't know about is in secret. So to me, that's infidelity. Okay, so there's a secrecy part to it. Yeah, absolutely. See. Okay, absolutely. I totally agree. Uh, if you can't do it in front of your spouse, then maybe you shouldn't be doing it. And that can be considered cheating, you know. Uh, like people say, the the husband at work or the wife at work, and you bringing them food. I mean, 
Do you think that might be a violation of the relationship? You know, those are some questions that you need to ask, but that's where the discussion comes in as well. Because, um, you know, some people, they have their own insecurities, which kind of play into the whole, oh, you're cheating, and that may not necessarily be the case. So that's why a discussion is very important. I think sometimes the relationships can start out innocent, especially like in the workplace, uh, where you have, you know, you're working with the opposite sex, and, you know, you have to have a certain type of a relationship there, and it might start off innocent. Uh, but then gradually and very subtly, um, sometimes those relationships can start to develop, even if that person wasn't really truly pursuing it. Um, but it can, it can start to develop, um, depending on what maybe is going on in the marriage, um, if there is some type of a weakness going on that has not been discussed, they start to get a need met, and it starts out innocent. Um, but then it could develop into something more, and then that's when I think it becomes... It can be confusing for the couple as to what the relationship really is and whether or not that person's willing to really um, admit that it's more emotional than what you know they would want it to be or would feel would be appropriate. Yeah, and that tends to be the most dangerous is the emotional, not because sexual yeah. is not the first thing that usually happens. Absolutely. Now I have counseled a few people where that was the first thing that happened, but again, it was coupled with drinking. You know, so they were drunk, they were talking, but there was still that connection. Um, but a lot of times these relationships start off emotionally because, like you said, Kim, well, I think all of you said, is when an emotional need is not being met in the marriage, uh, then that person starts to seek something outside of the marriage. And it starts with that emotional and then eventually moves into the sexual. And so I've also seen that even though sexual uh, infidelity is very traumatic, for a spouse, I've, I've almost found the emotional infidelity more damning and more damaging because that's harder, you know, the, the, the situation where a person had a sexual affair, uh, but it was like a one night stand, they met the person in a bar, there's no emotional connection and right. so that spouse feels like, okay, we can come back from this sometimes. Uh, but when there's a lot of emotion that's put into it, I had one client where it was a three-year affair, and he had built over three years this deep emotional connection mm -hmm. to this other person, and so, you know, that was harder for the spouse because how do you come back from that? So I think Terrence said it very well. It's that when, and all of you did, when it's in secret, when you can't tell your spouse about this because you're trying to create something outside of them, um, but it's also where you're trying to get a need met that's right. not being met at home. So, yeah, that, that's a huge danger. It, that? It's almost like living two separate lives. You know, like you said, the client, you had a three-year relationship. That's a whole that's, that's a whole life. That's a whole different life he got to try to shed and try to get rid of that you built over, over three years. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. a long time to try to break from that and concentrate on your marriage at hand. You know what I mean? So that even, like, like there's no one A or one B. E e emotional affair and physical affair is, is, is pretty much running neck and neck because, because it's been oftentimes that, you know, it's, it's always the physical. It's always the physical. No. It's that emotional affair, like you said, that's how it starts. That emotional affair, you, just say you like you say you working with a coworker and y'all just working together and all of a sudden something going on at home and then that that could be that day the coworker come and say hey your hair looks nice 
And then it's like, oh, my spouse never says, you know what I mean? So the wheels will <laughs> start turning then. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it does, it's, it's very subtle. And it feeds. That's the other thing about the sexual is that it still feeds the emotional. Yeah. Right. Because when you have sex with that person, then the neurochemicals that feed that bonding yep. kick in. And so, again, it's that, that emotional that's still being strengthened, Absolutely. unfortunately. And can you really think about this? Can you really have two strong relationships and do them well? No. no. I mean, no I've way. seen some of that in the past where you hear stories of, you know, someone who lived uh, multiple lives. I don't know how they do it without something coming out, especially with all the STDs today. I mean, something would give it away. But Well, I had a question. It's kind of... Coming off of that, uh, with the emotional and the physical, um, and it's which sex do you think handles? Uh, how can I word this question right? Uh, when it comes to cheating, which one do you think is harder to get over, the physical or the emotional? And I think uh, my reason for asking is we were having a discussion the other day about men and women, and which one is harder for either, and we were saying that. Women, the emotional attachment to another woman is a lot harder to get over compared to where men, if you have a if his wife has a physical relationship, oh, he's not. He's like, I, I can't even go there with you no more. Um, so, which one do you think is harder for each sex? Well, let me ask. Let me clarify that a little bit more. Are you saying is which one is harder for the the one who's been cheated on to get over? Yeah. For or us, for the person who is cheating. Who is it harder to let go of the person if they've had a sexual affair? For the one who's been cheated on. So say if I was I was married and my wife had a physical relationship with another man. Uh, I, I would say for me, the physical would be harder for me to get past. Whereas she just had an emotional because she was talking. I'd be like, oh, okay, just cut that off. And let's not go there no more. Uh, but like you said, emotional leads to the physical. So I think as men, because we are physical, we like what we see visually, that in the back of our head, that's always going to be there when we see her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think that that does play out exactly what you're saying, is yeah. that women have more of a problem if their husband is having or the emotional part the emotional of part. it. Because uh, I've even seen them write off the sexual. They'll, they'll be mad, you know, the, the woman will say, I can't believe that you slept with that, you know, blankety-blank. And... <laughs> You know, oh, just go do that. But ultimately, when they talk about the relationship and their struggle, it comes down to, um, I don't know how I can trust you ever again. I don't know. And then there's this fear of how, what am I doing wrong that's pushing you away? Right. Um, for the guys, and this is, and I'm not sure why this is, I think we do get stuck on that physical because then it's a manly thing of what wasn't I doing to fulfill right. this in you and... Uh, but that's not all men, so I, I think we got to be careful of generalizing that. Because I, I just um, had a client a few years back that where the guy was more focused on the emotional piece um, and all the interactions, and he wasn't so focused on the sexual. But that does happen, and I think that I think there's kind of that manly part to it of you know, am I not fulfilling, and and, and how can you fall in love with this person and. Yeah, I don't know. Give away what's mine. Give away what's mine, yeah. Well, I think that brings up the question then, you know, how how do men and women communicate that? Because, you know, 
if if a, a man is feeling disrespected because of the physical part that happened um, during the healing process, you know, there are differences between how men and women are going to perceive the hurt, you know, that they received from that affair. How does, um, I, you know, in the midst of something like this, where there is this conflict based on infidelity, I can assume that everyone pretty much has their defenses up or trust is down. Um, what is a good way that men and women can actually communicate with each other based on those differences that they're actually feeling? Because you could have the one situation, but you have two different people experiencing it in two different ways. So what is a good way to communicate what they're feeling with respect to understanding there's someone else feeling completely different, but that can still be, they can both still be true? Okay, now this is a loaded question because when you get two people in a room when this has happened, there's so many things and so many different levels that have to play out. And as a therapist, this is the hardest part because um, quickly they want to go to blame. And people want to blame. And, and I don't like to do the blame game in therapy. I like to get to what were the patterns that got us to where we are now. Because if we don't recognize the patterns, then we're, the, these couples are likely, even if they're trying to rebuild this marriage, are likely to fall back into it again because needs are not being met. And so I always try and help them focus on what their needs are. Now, the difficulty in that is the one who has cheated will say that the, I'm trying to come up with terms here to, to differentiate the two. So you've got the cheater and the cheated on, I guess that's the best way to do it. But the cheater, you know, when they decide, okay, I've messed up, I really want to make this better, they come back wanting to do all of these things for their spouse and take care of things and do things to meet their needs. Um, and that's, that is good in some ways, but the problem is, is that uh, I'll turn to the one who's been cheated on and have them ask what their spouse needs from them, the one who cheated on them. Yeah. And that's hard because the guy who cheated was like, no, 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 I've messed up. I just need to do for her. And yet, um, and, and let me just preface this. I'm going to talk a lot about guys being the cheater and women being the cheated on, but that is not across the board. I've just seen a lot of that. So if I do that, please don't be offended if you're listening to this. But often what happens is the guy wants to fix it. But what the, the one who's been cheated on doesn't know is what were they not doing to meet the needs of their spouse that made them go cheat. And even when you bring that up, it's like, wait a minute, are you blaming me? No, I'm not blaming you. But there was something here that made it right because you guys are not meeting each other's needs. And so... To me, what I try and help couples do is get back to understanding each other's needs and how to feed that. But even that, you've got to take time with because the first thing that needs to happen is the one who's been cheated on needs to grieve. And I think that as a therapist, that's one of the uh, areas that we skip over too quick because we want to fix it and then move on. But they need to grieve because they've just lost a way of life. So. It seems like when somebody brings up the reasons why they cheated or the reasons why they feel a certain way because they've been cheated on, um, it can often look like an excuse, you know, where it could be a legitimate need, although the, it doesn't justify the action. Uh, but I think that's where 
things can get locked down because if someone is trying to communicate their needs and the other person is only hearing you're making excuses, you're making excuses, how, that's, I think, where, you know, we really need to get good at talking to people about, you know, we need to separate these two things. Um, because if someone's already admitted fault, um, they're already saying that they've done something wrong, and if it, and they're acknowledging the other person's hurt. Now we need to separate that from the real reasons that maybe some of this stuff happened, like you were saying, Greg, like the progression, like what, you know, what was going on, not just at that moment, but what led up to that. Um, to, so to be open to listening to what that need was, and maybe that person didn't even express that need to give the spouse the opportunity to fulfill it, um, but regardless, it was a need that was a weakness and that the other person um, could benefit from hearing that so that they could build together, um, you know, to communicate those things maybe going forward. But sometimes the one who's been cheated on gets stuck in the why. Why did you do this? Yeah, I, I mean, have that. you ever, I, I don't know if you guys have seen other couples or other people that have gone through this, but do you ever see that where one person really gets stuck in the why and they want to know all the details and yes. that becomes a real big ugly mess. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. But um, why do they do that? What do you think they Um and I was kind of leading to a question I was going to ask you um what are some of the top 5 reasons why someone says they cheat? They may have cheated. What are some of the top 5 reasons you may have heard from from some of your uh your uh, clients. Okay. Um, I would say one of the first ones is just poor communication. And so when they're not communicating, they're not emotionally connecting. Right. And we fall out of, and this is the first thing that where I see a breakdown in relationships is when couples fall out of knowing each other. Mm -hmm. So when you're not knowing who your spouse is and you're just kind of always in that you know, nipping at each other and being sarcastic and just kind of uh, saying things on the fly. You're never really dealing with the deeper issues. You're not emotionally connecting with them that draws you into that relationship. And then, like I think Kim was saying, you go to, or one of you was saying, you, you go to work and your secretary is very attentive to you or your, your boss or whoever at work and they're all dressed up. When you go home, your wife or your husband's in their sweats, and then they're, you know, and it's just kind of like, you know. So, first of all, if your emotional need's not being met through that, that communication. I've seen for men, uh, but again, it all goes back to the emotional connection, is when the sexual connection is not happening. And so, they're getting frustrated, and then they seek outside. But that can also, so I'm going to, I'm kind of complicating this because there's multiple levels, not just a clear one, two, three, four, five. Right. So the sexual can be complicated with uh, pornography use or internet pornography because the men or the other, the woman is delving into this part that's really skewing their view of love. It's skewing their abilities in the sexual realm. It may be causing and pushing their spouse away and then also they're looking for that fulfillment there. So communication, emotional connection, um, the sexual fulfillment, um, those, are, those are the real key right there. Okay. Um, and you know, some of it could be from, and this is another thing that I see, is childhood issues where 
you know, you'll have in a, in a marriage, one person's a fixer and one person is kind of the processor. And so, and I'll just use me and my wife. I'm a fixer. So when there's a problem, I jump in and I want to fix it right now. But she's the kind that's a, you know, more of a, I need to think about this for some time and then maybe I'll talk to you. A lot of fixers keep pushing the issue until that person you know, gets frustrated because they don't have time to process. And so they get ticked off and, mm -hmm. and now the fight ensues and it gets even uglier. Right. And then the, the fixer will pull away. And that's you know not a very good place to be because it's like they want this to to get better but they don't know how and it becomes contentious, contentious I should say, um, and so that divide again can make it ripe for I'm not getting my needs met here at home I really need something outside of here. Um, abuse can be a part of that, you know when you feel like um, your spouse is not, and it doesn't have to be out and out like physical abuse. I think one of the things that really separates couples and creates that divide is harsh responses. We're very critical with one another and I noticed this you know, in my own marriage early on when someone would make a mistake we were quick to, how could you do that? That was so stupid. When are you gonna... and that's a quick way early on in marriage. So verbal and emotional abuse or I don't want to say manipulation because everybody's not manipulating but because how you spoke to that person, it makes them draw back from it. It's the delivery. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because, like you said, you can say something simple. How could you do that? Versus now, if somebody said it in, hey, sweetheart, um, let me know what, what made you make that decision. Totally different responses, but saying the same exact thing. You know what I mean? So the feedback from, from the one that's getting the getting yelled at is will be different versus someone getting the feedback versus with with the soft response. Yeah. Yeah. And this is harder for guys. And you guys tell me if I'm I'm right or wrong on this, but it's harder for guys because what I find is that guys don't try to hurt their spouse, hurt their wife. We try to we want to win them over. We want to and we do it early on. But somewhere in marriage, sometimes we get so caught up in work and things that yeah. we're doing yeah. that we miss the mark. Yeah. And if you know, we want to be respected, and if we feel like our spouse is kind of jumping on us for everything that we do wrong, that can quickly be one of those, oh man, this is not a feel-good situation. Or we get frustrated, we want to go do our own thing. Some guys go off to the workshop, some guys go drinking, some guys go out partying. But they'd rather be anywhere than anywhere with their else. spouse. Right, right. I've been that guy. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> but all of us, to be honest with you, all of us have, and we all have that in our relationship where we're quick to being, you know, very uh, harsh with one another and taking each other for granted. So sometimes I'm helping couples just have very more uh, merciful responses to each other. Let's let's talk through this in a little bit different. Um, yeah, and women perceive that totally different, and I think that's, again, the communication thing. But when the man withdraws, then the woman feels more vulnerable. She feels more lonely. She feels more um, isolated um, because that need that wasn't getting met that caused the man to withdraw now is really not getting met, and it's almost confirmed to the woman's heart 
um, that, that she was right, that they aren't interested. So, you know, I think, Terrence, you were talking the other day where, you know, you were working a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you were doing it out of the mindset of, you know, hey, I'm providing for my family. Right. You know, I'm out here working all these hours and, uh, you know, I'm not home. I don't get to be with my family much, but I'm providing, you know, as a man, I'm providing for my family. And this is the right thing to do. Whereas maybe the other person in the relationship was thinking he's never around. Mm-hmm. You know, he all he cares about is work and he never spends time with me. And, you know, so, again, I think it all comes back to how men and women kind of perceive um, these things differently. Yeah. And, you know, if that's not able to be communicated before it becomes an issue, um, that's where I think the relationship can, can become pretty vulnerable and people can start to really feel hurt and then actually justified in maybe doing some things, um, you know, that they wouldn't typically do. Mm-hmm. And I agree with Greg. That communication piece is, it is very, 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 very important. So I, I, I think with, with couples... You should have a you should have a schedule to where it can be once a month or every other week. We need to sit down and talk about whatever. You know what I mean? Because that communication, just say for me, if I will sit down um, during that time and say, "Hey, this is how I look at this is how I view marriage." You know what I mean? If I would have set my, my ex-spouse down and said, hey, this is how you, I want to provide for my family. I want to work. I want you home taking care of the babies. You know what I mean? So forth and so on. If I would have communicated that piece, why I was working all these hours, why I was doing this, and then maybe set some time, okay, I'm going to take off on Friday so we can go on a date. or You know what I mean? So I think I think the communication is real it is is real key in, in, in marriages and relationships. But how many men quickly run to the communication piece with their spouse? We don't. You know why? Why? Because we just don't know. Some aren't taught we, about communication either. Though. Yeah, we just don't know how, we just don't know how. Yeah. Cuz I know for me growing up in a single mom, single parent home, you know, my mom had guys, you know, boyfriends or whatever, but it was just it it was taught to be tough. It, it, it was showed not to cry, not to show emotion. You know what I mean? Me growing up. So it's almost like, you know, we, we're not a, we weren't allowed to show that side. It's considered a weakness. So, and if you show that side, that softer side to a woman, she's going to see you as weak. And she's going to try to run over you. So it was, it was almost like you got to be that, you know, that tough guy. You got to be the, you know what I mean? But that is so... Now I'm gonna have, I'm gonna push you guys on it, and just for those who are listening to this, because you can't see into right. the room here, but uh, Dante and Terrence are both African American, so I'm I'm gonna hit them with the question: with, you know, is this a cultural kind of thing, from your opinion of the, you know, in that culture, does the man feel like he has to be strong, and if not, do the women tend to? steamroll over you if you aren't. I've seen it. It's, it's definite, <laughs> You've seen it. It's, it's yes. definite. Um, like, I grew up all women. My father wasn't uh, in the picture. Uh, but I did have uncles who were around. So they kept that that edge, that, that tougher side when I was with them. But when I was with my mom and, and, and my grandmother and my aunts, it was that softer side. But they also taught us that you need to be tough when, when you, you know, as a man, you need to make sure that you are... It, you are running your home, you are, you know, always working and, you know, taking care of your family. And 
they never explain like okay when it comes to communicating with your wife or your or, or, or a woman that you need to be able to listen and hear what she's saying so I never were I never was taught that skills in my marriage <laughs> so that's why my marriage broke down because of the communication piece so because it's like you listen to understand not listen to reply that makes sense mm-hmm so I'm listening to you, but I can't get I can't wait till you get done so I because so I can tell you give you a piece of my mind. <laughs> yeah. But not listening. Not really. Yeah, but not listening to understand really the heart of your wife. Because she's speaking from her heart with her concerns. So that communication, like even for the love languages. You know, if we learned the love languages from the beginning. Words of affirmation, acts of kindness. So even with me working a lot. If I would have learned her love language, I think things would have been a lot better. You know what I mean? But not to say it wouldn't happen because you just never know. You know what I mean? But I just think that communication includes the love language. Yeah, I, I, I throw that out to you guys because I've even seen that in, in therapy. And it's not strictly just with African-American couples. It is with uh, Caucasian couples, too, where there's sometimes that... Uh, if the guy is, you know, too quiet, the wife will complain that he's not talking enough. But the guy, you know, will sometimes struggle with if he talks too much, then he gets ramrodded or whatever the right word is by his spouse over everything he says. So he doesn't say anything. So I'll see these cycles going on with mm -hmm. couples where the guy just kind of goes into himself because he's tired of being, um, you know, picked at or nagged at. And then the wife gets upset because she's like, he never talks to me. He won't tell me anything. And then it's this kind of circular thing of, well, if I talk, I'll get put down. Yeah, but if, if you don't talk, then we don't. And so trying to get them out of that pattern can be very difficult. Yeah. And to help women, you know, just as much as men understand you got to talk and women, you got to listen to us and not, you know, be gentle with us. Because even in scripture, it talks about that in Ephesians uh, 5 where at the end it says and women you know respect your husband you know men have to be like Christ to their their wife right. but w wives are also called to be Christ to us and respect us and so yeah I think it goes back to what we we're talking about that lack of gentleness that we give to each other and truly listening and talking mm -hmm. and communicating what's going on because then it's down to that guesswork of what's going on in their head Right. And that's a bad place to be. Very bad place right. to be. Right, and then I think that's where sometimes where, you know, as even as a fixer, you become the processor after a while. <laughs> like, well, okay, so let me try to figure out what's really going on. Yeah. Right. So, because um, I'm, a, naturally I'm a fixer. But lately as I've been processing, you know, since divorce, I've been thinking about before I get back into dating and stuff, I was like, you know, it made me think, like, I need to start processing what's going on here before I respond and then how I respond needs to be clear so I can be understood yeah, yeah women uh, we see ourselves as a mystery that wants to be solved but not immediately um, we want to pursue we want to be pursued um, not only physically pursued but we also want to be emotionally pursued and I think sometimes when um, someone comes to our rescue quote-unquote if we have a problem and the man, you know, immediately has this answer, then we don't feel like we're being pursued emotionally. Um, we want you to understand what we're going through 
versus solve our problem. And we don't do a good job of communicating that because I think it becomes so natural to us to want that, that we assume that people um, would understand that. But, you know, again, as a woman, um, really um, taking the time to have quality communication uh, versus the quantity, um, I think is important. Expressing as a woman, you know, when I do have an issue or I do have a problem or I come to you, being able to say, you know, this is something I'm going through and I really want your help to solve it, or versus this is something I'm really going through and I really just need your support. So I think it's just, you know, kind of breaking that tone too so the man will know um, mm -hmm. what type of response am I really looking for um, versus someone that just, you know, would assume that, oh, you have a problem, then it needs to be fixed. Where a woman kind of thinks opposite of that. We're thinking, I want you to like, kind of come into my world and experience what I'm experiencing, but not necessarily solve it for me. Yeah, right. Sometimes you just... You just need to be a listening ear. Yeah. You know, just sit there and listen. But let her know you're paying attention and you listen. But sometimes they just they just want to, especially about work or about kids, you know, they just want to vent. And just sometimes they just want you to listen, you know. Sometimes you necessarily don't need a response, but like like Kim said, communicate that. Because we don't want to play the guessing game, like Craig said. Yeah. <laughs> so let me let me ask guys, because I think this is a you're already naturally going to this point. Is what are the things that we need to do in marriage in order to prevent um, the I don't want to say causing, but to making our marriage ripe. Maybe we'll say it that way mm -hmm. for a an infidelity situation to happen. What are some things? So we already said the communication is key. Yeah. And we can expand on that some. Um, Kim, you were bringing up some from a female point of view of, you know, what's important for you. But what other things um, need to happen in order to reduce that, that chance for? Well, I think boundaries, you know, boundaries that um, are clearly communicated within the marriage. You know, that, that there's boundaries that are discussed that are agreed upon. Uh, that could be, I mean, just openly talking with your spouse about, you know, what are some things that you could see might cause a weakness for you in this area? You know, um, if we're having an argument, you know, what is something that could potentially cause a weakness? Would it be talking to your girlfriends about, like, putting down our marriage, putting me down or putting down our marriage? Uh, could that cause a weakness? Um, could it be communicating with someone at work with the op of the opposite sex? Like, you know, clearly establishing, understanding what each other's weaknesses could be and then putting boundaries in place and having accountability for that with each other and maybe a possible you know, person on the outside too that's known and trusted with the couple. And I'm going to add to that because I think that, that knowing the weaknesses is key but also knowing your spouse's personality, your, your spouse's um, you know, love language, just kind of what makes them tick. Too often we don't know what makes them tick and so we think some of the things that they're doing is just there to tick us off versus that that's just a part of who they are. And if we understand that, we can approach them in a different way. Hopefully, you know, I've, I've seen um, some spouses who are fixers that are, are pleasers, they don't like conflict. And that was never brought out early, and now it's brought out in therapy that because they don't like conflict, they just run to someone else. If we could catch that early on and help this couple, and that's my frustration is, how do we catch these, these people early on? Um, you can help them deal with the situation quicker so that one's not attacking 
you know, with more gentle words, and the other person can learn ways to not always run and to feel anxious. So knowing more about, you know, their strengths and also kind of their their personality type. Yeah, I think also um, premarital premarital counseling is important, but also during premar premarital counseling, you need to be vulnerable. So, so for me, I'm just now. I'm 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 remarried, of course. Um, but learning how to be vulnerable with my to my spouse on stuff I'm thinking about or something that's bothering me versus keeping it bottled inside. And oh, you know, I I don't want to deal with it because you know it might cause an explosion. But if something is really bothering you, learning how to communicate that. And be vulnerable with your spouse um, on that topic or that situation. So I think premarital counseling, but especially for 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 males, it's important to be vulnerable and not seeing it as being soft, because it can work. It can work, you know, two ways. You can be seen as soft from your spouse, and I've seen that as well. When a man is vulnerable, sharing his feelings and his thoughts and emotions. He's seen as weak. But I think when it's brought up in premarital counseling with a third party, you got somebody with some knowledge to say, hey, hold on, wait a minute. This what this is, this what this look like. You know, so And I'm gonna add to that too, because I think what I would I would say was is key, and a lot of people don't necessarily have this, is having Christ at the center. Yeah. Having a real Christ like view and faith in your relationship because I think what you're talking about there is you're battling against what the world dictates right how man has to be strong and the woman has to be this and you know we have to live this certain way whereas Christ is calling us to be to love one another to be gentle to be kind mm -hmm. to be you know open to to and, and it calls for a whole different way of being right. and so instead of looking at the guy who's gentle as a, a weak figure right. according to the world and Christ you know with our Christ glasses on we can see them as actually a really the strong male <laughs> a strong leader which is wouldn't that be great yeah um, I would say um, setting time aside just for the two of you uh, when I uh, my second marriage um, we always set an hour before we went to bed after the kids went to sleep, it was our time. We stopped with any work or anything. It was just us um, where we would talk, spend time as far as watching a movie, uh, whether it was just you know sitting on the couch or sitting down eating. That that would be our time every day. And, I, and it doesn't have to be every day, but maybe once a week or you know at least a couple times out of the month to where you're setting that time aside to where y'all can have genuine conversations instead of conversation going by each other. So uh, I think that's very important, that quality, even though that may not be your, your love language, quality time, in order to get to know someone, you have to spend time with them. In order to, keep, to have a relationship with somebody and build a strong relationship, you have to spend time with them. So I think that's very important as well. Yeah. And with that, along with something Kim said about you know, boundaries, one of, the, I think that one of the last things I want to bring up here that I think is really critical is getting a handle on our... Uh, cell phone use and our um, 
social media use because that's killing so many marriages today because we're yes. creating relationships with the rest of the world while our families in the same room with us alone and I see that all the time people saying well she's always on her Facebook he's always on his Facebook <laughs> or they're always texting I don't know what they're texting you know for me I've made it a habit uh, and some people get frustrated with me on this is when I get home I actually park my phone for the night and I tell people if you want to get a hold of me call my home phone now some people that is their home phone so you gotta decide how you do it but I still park my phone over here and I really don't check it I'll take it with me if I leave the house mm -hmm. um, but So I'll park my phone, and if I go out, I'll take it with me. Uh, but ultimately, uh, my goal is to focus on my family, to be present to them. Because I, I hear, again, too many people saying it, it's that fill-in-the-blank kind of thing and wondering what's going on with them as they're over there on their phone texting who knows what. And how often do we want to go, hey, who are you talking to over there? Oh, nobody, nobody. So if we can put that in check, especially mm -hmm. when we're together as a family, and or show that transparency with it of, oh, I'm just... Because I'll do that where I'm working on my computer for some reason. My wife would be like, what are you doing? Real gently, like not like, what are you doing? Yeah. And I'll quickly turn my computer to her to show her what I'm doing, not try and click off a bunch of things and show her so that she knows that it's totally... I'm looking for, you know, this, that, the other thing. A new telescope. A new telescope. <laughs> it's just about being present. I think that's the biggest thing. Be present in the moment, not just be there. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Uh, my son is a daycare provider. You know, uh, her and her husband. Um, she said when there's when you walk in the house, you cannot be on your phone. So just say if there's a clear on a call, you have to end that call before you walk in the door. And for the first hour, it's just us and family. So I thought that was, you know, pretty much a good idea. But like you said, that the technology, the phone, the Facebook, the social media, it's 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 really it can be addictive. Mm -hmm. It really can be addictive. And distracted. And distracted. And distracted, yeah. Yeah. In fact Definitely. I've, I've I've even said to um co-workers in the past you know where uh, or even people that I know or my kids is that you know if I'm talking to you and you keep looking at your phone who do you think I, I or, what does that convey to me as who's more important uh, the person on my phone well what if you just set it down on the table what do you think well that's you know yeah okay I could see that well I'll turn it upside down doesn't matter because you're still putting it there and it becomes this obstacle because to me and and I've even seen you know studies on this where that it does break down the communication because that is still, in your opinion, more important than who you are. So if that's what we're trying to convey, or if it's not what we're trying to convey, we need to come up with a better way of getting rid of that, mm -hmm. turning it off, sticking it somewhere else. Um, well, yeah, because you could be in the middle of a conversation, even a serious one. You hear the phone, you're automatically distracted, and even even if you just look at it and don't respond. That's still showing that other person that, oh, at any given moment, I could become less important than an electronic device, you know, because someone else is trying to communicate with you. And it does break that, um, that you know, the communication flow, I think, too. And 
the other person I think can maybe even just shut down at that point and be like, just forget it. You know, like I'm not even going to try and talk to you if you know you can't give me your full attention. So I have one final question to to hand out to you, Greg. Um, so who you have this couple and there's infidelity and it doesn't matter who it was. Let's just you know there was infidelity and so it's a marriage, right? And you know two become one, right? It's a it's a a, a joint effort, you know, to have a healthy marriage, right? So who's to blame when there's infidelity? Well, as I always say, it takes two to tango. And I think that that's a hard thing and a harsh thing sometimes for people to hear. Um, because we want to quickly blame the person who made the choice to be um, the, who, who was unfaithful. And there is blame to go there. Uh, but there is also blame on both sides of what built up to this. We are both responsible for you know, how well our marriage goes and how bad our marriage goes. We decide that along the way. And if we're not working at our marriage and we're taking it for granted and we're not trying to be gentle and all of that. So, but let me back up and say that when I work with couples, I try and stay away from blame. Because too often what breaks down any kind of therapy situation is when two people come into my office pointing the finger at each other. You know, um, with my Catholic background, I kid around a lot about, I think, the couples <coughs> feel like they can go to confession for each other instead of themselves because they know every sin that the other person has done, but they can't recognize their own. Um, so, you know, trying to help people look inside of themselves is the role that they play. But, you know, it's helping couples get out of the blame game because if you want to do that, you know, you can come to therapy for me for the, with me for the next year, and we can try and decide who's got the most blame. Um, but really, it's not going to help because what our goal is is to move forward. In order to move forward, we got to figure out what didn't work in the past, and fix it for the future. And that's that's kind of the key component in all of this is helping people see the patterns, <coughs> and in that it's helping couples struggle with the fact that I'm not trying to blame and it's not to say you caused you know the person who committed adultery uh, or who you know cheated is still strongly to blame for making that choice there is no excuse for that but it still needs to come down to how are we going to fix these patterns so that as we go forward we don't keep repeating these patterns and so, yeah, I, I stay away from the blame game and get more into the, so. Yeah, because if there was no cheating, there's still some issues there. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's still this breakdown, and it's still, you know, because, and even if they stay married and no infidelity ever happens, if they're still, you know, their worst enemies in the home and they treat each other like garbage, that's not good either. And so many couples, that's that's kind of the norm for the way they live. So, well, as we wrap up here, I want to thank you all for listening. And uh, this was a new venture, and I, I want to probably continue this into the future of doing these some of these um, these podcasts uh, in the heart's desire in this form of more of a uh, kind of stump. I call it stump the chump. I know we're all talking about it, but I think you know it's that wrestling with it versus mm -hmm. just kind of you know doing a bunch of uh, facts and bullets and all of that. So, 
Um, so I appreciate you all listening, uh, and if you enjoyed the show, please consider encouraging your friends and family to also listen in. And if you have any topics that you'd like for me to touch on in the future, feel free to contact me through my website, which is ourdeepestdesire.com, O-U-R, deepestdesire.com. You can also go there to learn more about the Discovering Our Deepest Desire curriculum. And until next week, may God lead you deeper into discovering your heart's innermost desire.